Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing our praises to God together.
my heart. 
Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jacqueline Algier, and I'm a senior, obviously, at Houghton. And uh, this summer, I had the great opportunity of going to Ecuador and working with One Mission Society. And while I was there, I was able to give away um, 200-plus Operation Christmas Child boxes to kids in need. And these are actual photos that I took in Ecuador, not just, I just didn't Google them, but they're real kids. Um... And these are kids that I invested my time and my effort and my love into in over a week. And then on Friday, we gave the kids these boxes from ages 4 to 14 years old. And I just want to tell you some of the stories that really impacted me and I hope will impact you and encourage you to um, participate in Operation Christmas Child this year. Um, one of the kids in the pictures, uh, he, had, he was the oldest of four kids. And he has never had a thing of his own. So he came up to me and was like, is this my box? And I was like, yeah, honey, that's, that's your box, you know? Like you, your brother, your sister, your brother, like they all have their own box. And he's like, do I have to share my box? And I was like, no, like everyone has their own box. Like this is your box. So for that child, it was something super special. Like this was his box that he got and then there was another little girl who had a whole box of pencils in her, uh, in her box. And at her school, you have to know that for every classroom, there's only one pencil. And it's all passed around to each child to share. And so she actually took it back to one of the uh, like, uh, pastors that was with us. And he, she was like, I think there was a mistake. Like, this, was, uh, this is a whole box of pencils. Like, am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do with this? And he was like, this is, this is your box of pencils, you know, do with it what you want. And uh, so she, came, she went home and she wrote a letter to Jesus because, you know, all of the kids were told that these boxes came from Jesus. And she thought that this box or this Jesus was a guy in America. So she wrote a note and said, thank you, Jesus, for everything. And she came back and she gave it back to the pastor. And she... and. Uh, asked the pastor to mail it to America, to Jesus, and, she, and he was able to tell her about Jesus and about the gospel and about, you know, the cross and everything. And over the past uh, next week, uh, she accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior. So these are actual real kids whose lives have been changed from a single box. And I just encourage family, you know, like roommates and, you know, teams or anything like that to just make a box, you know. I mean, imagine if every family in 
this entire church made a box, how many lives could potentially be saved. Um, Some of the things that the kids really, really enjoyed in these boxes were jump ropes, hats, t-shirts, crayons, coloring books, little mini cars, uh, Barbie dolls, candies, necklace, notebooks. Anything to just show them that you love and care for them. So I really encourage you to get involved with Operation Christmas Child this coming uh, Christmas. Thank you. I'd like to invite the ushers forward to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
As we pray together, if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, we come today from a uh, week that has held a variety of experiences for us. Some come today in a spirit of joy and anticipation. Others come in a spirit of fear, pain. Whatever our circumstance, we know that you are with us. And that you meet us at our point of need. Father, we pray for your grace at work in us as a church and a wider community of people. We pray, Father, that we will sense you in our pain and our struggles. We pray for all who are grieving, whether that grief is from death or the death of a dream or the shattering of a relationship. Comfort us with your spirit. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. And we think of Bruce Brenneman and Bill Roski. We pray for Beverett and Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Alton Shea and Isla Shea. For Dick Gould and Edna Howard, for Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler. And for others that are on our hearts, in our minds today. And we pray for your healing grace in each of them and your presence with them. Father, we pray for this world in which we live. We're reminded this week, once again, of the evil and violence in our world as we witness the school shooting in Washington. The atrocities in the Middle East and other places. Lord, we pray that you will bring your spirit to bear in these places of pain and death and evil and ask that you would work miraculously. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are often in the middle of this stuff and who face persecution and opposition and things that we find difficult to comprehend. And may they know your grace and power in their lives to stand courageously for you. And again, Lord, let their witness inspire ours. Father, we pray for Ken and Marilyn Blake as they conclude their ministry in Germany. Thank you for their faithful service. May they, may they finish well and finish strong. And may the fruit of their ministry go on and on and on through the power of your spirit. Father, as we are on the brink of another prayer vigil this year, we pray that you will work miraculously in us as a church and a wider community. That as we come to pray, we will have some, some defining moments with you. Help us to be people who open our hearts to you and who come and give our time and energy and our lives to you. And be glorified in our prayers. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers, not just today, but every day, every moment, wherever we may be. We know that you do because you've promised it. And because of Jesus Christ, 
in whose name we offer our prayers. Our Lord, our Savior, our coming King. Amen. morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet, who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had no violence, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though... And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong." Because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Then stand and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today.
It's probably about uh, about 30 years ago I first read Scott Peck's amazing book The Road Less Traveled. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for the equivalent of about 13 years. A profound impact on millions of people. And I think one of the things that amazed me the most, because it had a great impact on my life, I think one of the things that was so striking to me about this book was how he began. The first sentence of the book is just three words. Just three little words. But those words set the tone for everything else he says in the rest of the book. Those first three words are simply, life is difficult. Life is difficult. I don't think there is any one of us here today who would not bear witness to that truth. The reality of living as human beings in this world is that life is difficult. Now, there are some days, some weeks that are better than others, but life is difficult. We work hard, we push, we learn, we grow, we fail, people fail us, difficulties are all around us, it's a part of life. One of the things that has come to my mind as I've been thinking about this sermon today is that, quite frankly, of all the questions that have been asked, it's one of the most difficult for me to talk about. Now, there are other sermons that are going to be coming up that probably are going to be, that might be, they're going to be difficult to talk about. But there are some answers that we get. But when you start talking about the difficulties of life and the pain of life and why bad things happen to good people, Answers are hard to come by because life is difficult. And we live in the reality of the pain and the difficulty and the struggles of life. I mean, we're talking about things like cancer and divorce and losing our jobs or not being able to get a job and death. We're talking about the pain that we cause each other, sometimes inadvertently, sometimes, let's be honest, with malice aforethought. See, the reality of the difficulty and the pain of life is that pain is no respecter of persons. Sometimes we like to think that if we're followers of Jesus... Life should be simpler, it should be easier. And there are people who will tell us that. And they will, they will let us pay them to tell us that. <laughs> right? There is always somebody who wants to tell us, life is easy, life should be good. Just trust Jesus and all your problems will go away. And if you give me money, I'll it'll go away even faster. They're lying to us. In fact... You read the scriptures, I get the feeling that the more people follow Jesus, the more problems and pain they encounter. This this very question, why do bad things happen to good people, implies that there are people who are good enough that bad things shouldn't happen to them. And I think the other part of that implication is that probably includes you and me. 
And that there are people who are bad enough that bad things happening to them is the right thing. And we're not hesitant to make those judgments. And we look at God and we sometimes feel like he owes us. I mean, after all, we've sacrificed quite a bit for him. We've given up all kinds of things. We, we read our Bible every day and we're, we're good instead of being bad. God, we should get some return on our investment. And then we read Jesus' words in Matthew 5. And he says that God sends the sun on the good and the evil. God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Life is difficult. Life is full of pain. Now we read the scriptures and God tells us that he he allows pain to come to us. He redeems that. One of the things that we find in the scriptures is that he tells us that the pain that comes to us, he redeems. He works in it. God doesn't cause our pain. But he does use our pain for good. Now, sometimes we, it's a fine distinction to say God doesn't cause our pain, but God allows our pain. And we sometimes hear that and think that's just semantics. It's still God's fault. And in a sense, it is. Because the reason there is pain in this world is because there is evil. And the reason there's evil is because God created us with free will. And God created us with free will because he wanted us to know love. God's desire for us with him and with each other was relationship. He wanted us to know his love. He wanted us to love him. He wants us to love each other. The center of all that God does in creating is love. But love is only possible. It's only genuine love if it can be rejected. It's not love if someone's got your arm behind their back until you say, I love you. Okay, the words came out of your mouth, but they're not from your heart. You don't really love them. It's only love if you can choose not to love. We only do good if we can choose to not do good. And it's our choice as human beings to to not love, to not do good, that brings the pain in the world. We live in a fallen world because of sin and evil. And because we live in a fallen world, tragedies happen. And because we live in a fallen world, we live with fallen people. And we hurt each other. And it comes back to the fact that for God, nothing's more important than love. And anytime you... you Love is the part of the equation. There is going to be the opportunity to not love. See, we have a tendency to think that God's design for us is perfection. It's not. God's design for us is love. To be holy is to love. It's not to be perfect. Perfection isn't going to fulfill us. Only love can fulfill us. Now, there are times where we think, I'll trade love to have less pain. But what have we really gained? Because quite frankly, we can't live without love. We can live longer without oxygen and food and water, really, than love. 
Without love, we shrivel up and die. Without love, we have no meaning. We have no, no existence. Without love, there is nothing. And so God takes this huge risk in creating us with love at the center of everything. We know the risk of love. Every one of us, in one way or another, has been burned by love. We give our heart to someone and they rip it out. We give ourselves to someone and they reject us. We risk relationship with people and they turn on us. We all know that pain far too well. We understand that. And if we took some time, we all would be able to tell our stories and, and, and the hurt and the pain and the tears would come back to us. We know the risk of love. And our typical response to the risk of love is rejection. God has a different response in mind. See, we think, we think that a relationship with God, the real risk is that we're taking. We even talk that way. We even say, I'm going to risk to trust God. That's no risk. Because God is perfect. God is perfect love. God is perfect goodness. God is perfect wisdom. God is perfect holiness. Everything God does is perfection. Remember, he is other than us completely. Everything about God is perfection. He never fails us. The real risk is that God takes, is the, is that God takes a risk with us. God is the one who risks. God risks in creating us. And gives us the, the opportunity to reject him or embrace him. God sends Christ with the freedom to reject him or to embrace him. God risks his reputation. I mean, the fact that God allows pain in the world, even though scripture says God takes our pain and he redeems it, he makes us stronger, he teaches us endurance. It, it helps us understand more and more about being followers of him. It ends up, he turns it, turns pain into good. Despite all of that, the, the heart of the question that we're asking today is, God, why are you letting this happen? God, why are you doing this to us? God, what are you doing here? And in, invariably, the blame goes back to God. And God takes this huge risk in loving us, the risk of his reputation, why? Because he wants a relationship. Because at the center of everything we are and everything he is, is love. And so God says he will redeem our pain and he work in our pain. But let me say this. Sometimes, one of the things that concerns me the most about talking about this today is that it becomes too clinical and not enough real about our lives. I suspect that the reason we can talk about why pain comes and why bad things happen is because we're not going through that much pain at the moment. People who are in the middle of pain are not trying to explain it. They're just trying to live through it. They're just trying to get through it. That's not the time to have a philosophical discussion about it. You're just trying to survive it. And one of the things that I think is so important for us to understand 
is that God, despite the fact that he says, I'll redeem your pain, I'll work through your pain, I'll make you stronger through your pain, and part of us is saying, well, that's great, but I'd rather not have the pain. Right? I, that's what I say. That's what I'm, I'm asking. And it almost can appear as though God is insensitive to our pain because he just wants to get us to the end. But the reality is God keeps telling us over and over and over again that our pain is important to him. In fact, I, I love the way the New Living Translation puts Psalm twenty-two, twenty-four. 24. It says that God does not ignore or belittle the suffering of the needy. What's hard for us to grasp is that the pain we feel, God feels. The agony in our souls is agony to God. Because our relationship with him is rooted in love. He loves us. We we feel that with other people. People we love, we feel their pain. And God feels that toward all people. He created all of us in his love. And it grieves him when we feel pain. And the only alternative is for God to take away our ability to love. By taking away our free will. See, we keep, we, we accuse God. We say, God, please stop this, these bad things from happening. Please, please change the way the world operates. But I want to keep my free will. Change the way everything goes on, go, it takes place. But I still want to be able to love and be loved. It just doesn't work that way. And so instead, God says, let me be with you in your pain. One of the problems with evil that is the heart of all of the pain and struggles that we feel in one way or another is that it's hard to explain it. It's hard to define it. It's even hard to react to it. But God gives us some handles. God gives us some help. Very, very real ways of helping us work through it. One of those is prayer. You know, when Jesus is at that point of his deepest pain, hanging on the cross, physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, in that moment, he prays. But his prayer is not what we would expect. His prayer is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His prayer is an accusation against God. The best prayers we can pray are honest prayers. I came to the conclusion a long time ago, I might as well be honest with God because it's not like he doesn't know what I'm thinking. Right? There's something in our minds, though, that wants to believe that if we don't say it, it's not real. It's real. God knows. And the only thing that happens when we keep it in is that it begins to just build up animosity and anger and bitterness. We, God is not afraid of our honesty. He can take it. You read the Psalms over and over again. The writers of the Psalms rail against God. 
they put God in the middle of everything and they, they accuse God and they, they rail against God. And no one is ever condemned for being honest with God. No one's ever condemned for being angry with God. We are in trouble trying to hide things from God. The prayers of God's people are about honesty. Getting things out. One of the things that one of the reasons why we keep doing these prayer vigils is because we believe prayer is so vital to healing in our lives. When we come together and pray, when we go to the prayer room by ourselves, we we set aside time, often silent time, to listen to God and to pour out our hearts to God. That's why there's that big uh, whiteboard, a wailing wall, for people to write on there whatever they want to write. And if you've ever been in in, in there and read some of the things on the wall... You you sense the agony of soul and spirit in so many people. But that's exactly what needs to happen. God is not afraid of our honest prayers. They are a means of healing in us and experiencing his spirit in us. One of the things that we've done this year added to is setting aside a few times, few hours each week for corporate prayer. We're just inviting anybody who wants to come to the prayer room and we're going to pray together. Most of the time, the prayers are individual, though you're always welcome to bring other people, person, group, family, whatever. But we're setting aside these specific times that are for corporate prayer because we believe that it's, it, while it's awesome to pray on our own, it is even more powerful to pray together. There is not a one of us who can handle the pain of our lives and the difficulties of our lives by ourselves. We need each other. Evil and pain and struggle and suffering are, cannot be handled by one person alone. We need each other. Is it, is it interesting that in the garden, when Jesus is about to go to the cross, what does he say to his disciples? Pray with me. Help me. And that's the church. That's why we believe in the power of the church and the community of God's people. Because we need each other. There is strength in numbers when God's people come together. On our own, we will often fail. Together, we have a power that we just don't have on our own by ourselves. That's why we're trying to create an atmosphere in the church where we come together and we're honest, not just with God, but with each other. In our vision statement, one of, the, one of the things that we believe will happen to us as a church, if the Holy Spirit really makes us the church he wants us to be, is that we will be a church that, that acknowledges our personal and corporate brokenness. And we're not afraid to do that. And I know sometimes the church feels like a place where you can't be honest. That's not what God intended it to be. That's just our human stuff getting in the way. That's not what we want the church to be because that's not what God wants the church to be. I keep thinking about what happened in South Africa and the end of apartheid and and how that transition was so peaceful. And one of the reasons was because of the the Truth and Reconciliation Committee that took place there. Bishop Desmond Tutu organized with this panel of leaders would sit and anybody who wanted to, anyone, could come and stand before them and tell their story. They could talk about the 
pain they endured and the abuse they endured and, and the violence they endured. They could talk about their anger and their bitterness and their, their desire for revenge. And something happened while they were standing in front of that, that council and sharing their heart. Is that instead of needing to take revenge, it began to melt away. Because people listened and cared. And instead of people fighting each other and, and seeking revenge on each other, there was healing And there was justice. And there was grace. And that's what we want the church to be. That's what the church was designed to be. And that means that we just, we not only have the willingness to come and to share our stories and to be honest with each other, but it also means that we are willing to take on the suffering of other people. We're both sides of it. That's also part of our vision statement that when we're the church God wants us to be, we willingly take on the suffering that other people are facing. We say, let me take that for you. Let me help you bear that burden. It becomes a part of what it means to be the church. To be God's people. Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, I don't want you to worry about me and the suffering that I'm facing because it's for you. And he says the same thing to the Colossians. I am, I am rejoicing in being able to take your suffering on myself. That's what the church does. But I'm convinced that ultimately, ultimately the answer to our pain is not a theory or an explanation. Ultimately, the answer to our pain is Jesus. Ultimately, it is Jesus. You know, sometimes it, when we talk about our pain, we, we sort of give the impression that God hasn't done anything about our pain. That's why I wanted to read Isaiah 53 this morning, where he says, He took on our infirmities. Our pain was upon him. Our our sins were put on him. What we deserved was upon him. The answer to our pain ultimately is the cross. N.T. Wright talks about how God really doesn't give us answers that we want. He doesn't give us the answers that we'd like when we when these questions of pain, but what he does give us is himself. He doesn't remove the threat of suffering and pain and the reality of the difficulty of life, but he does enter into everything that we face and everything that we encounter through the cross. And one day, one day when we when we encounter the fulfillment of the kingdom with him in heaven, we will understand fully what his engagement in our pain means. Until that day, we're called to trust, to believe, to see the power, the grace, the presence of Christ with us.
In his book, Yearnings, Craig Barnes tells about how when he was young, his parents divorced. And the great pain that that caused to he and his older brother, and it, it led them on a journey of trying to have so many questions and wondering why and asking about their, their role in this. And, and it created this sort of nomadic spirit in him. And it, it drug him away from what he had known of God. Until eventually he, he decided that he was just going to run. And he spent one year just roaming America and asking questions and asking God and questioning God and trying to figure out the whys of life. He says one Sunday he was hitchhiking somewhere in Oklahoma and, and an African-American older couple pulled off to the side of the road in their pickup truck and asked him if he wanted to ride. He hopped in and they took off and they said they were going to church. They were going to the church this day and he said, you know, it wasn't a big church. This man, uh, Deacon Stanley, Stanley was a leader in the church. He said, we don't have a lot of people, but this will be a day when more people will show up. It's the fifth Sunday of the month, and it's an all-day singing day and, and dinner on the grounds. He said, we'd love to have you join us. And he reluctantly said yes. As they were driving to church, they began to talk. And he asked him, the deacon asked Craig about his life. And he said, I don't even know. So I'm just wandering. I don't know how to handle the stuff that I'm feeling. And the deacon said, I, I kind of get what you're thinking, what you're saying. He said, I was just, I just lost my job at the granary. I don't even know why, but I'm trusting God. They got to the church and the people were there milling around and singing, fixing food. And he said he watched them interacting with each other and not really thinking that much about it. And then, and then, Deacon Stanley began to hum Amazing Grace. He said, by the time he got to the end of that verse, everyone was singing, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And Craig Barnes says, as they began to sing, he said, the tears began to pour down my face. It was the first time I'd cried since my mother left. And these tears were warm and reassuring. And I sensed God doing something in my life. I said, my, my life was changed that day. And he says, you know, that song, Amazing Grace, is our song. It, it's, it's in our pores. All someone has to do is to say, I once was lost. And we just automatically say, but now I'm found. It's a part of our existence. And somewhere in that song is the word of God to us. Of his grace in the midst of our pain and our struggle and our difficulty. The reality of our lives is that it's difficult. There's pain, there's hurt, there's suffering, there's unanswered questions. 
And quite frankly, I don't really have the answers. And truthfully, God doesn't give us all the answers. But he does tell us this. He cares about our pain. And in Christ, in the crucified, risen Christ, he is with us in our pain. The question for each of us is will we trust him? Will we trust him? Gracious Father, we live with so many questions. So much stuff that eats away at us and burdens us and hurts us. Father, help us to know your grace and your mercy in the midst of whatever we're facing. Father, as we prepare to come to this table and to eat the bread and to drink the cup of your crucified, risen Son, May the bread and the cup be food for our souls and grace for our pain. We ask this through Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this do it in remembrance of me. We're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction. It just means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. If you want to stay at the altar and pray, it's always open. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. Happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers here in cups. Just let me know if you would like those as you come to the front. I'd like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It simply means it might be the first time you've ever worshipped here, but if you come today with your heart open to God and with a desire in your heart for His grace in your life and a desire to love God and to love others, then come. Receive these gifts from the hand of our gracious, loving Heavenly Father. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
blessings we pray for peace comfort for family protection while we sleep we pray for healing for prosperity we pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering and all the while you hear each spoken need yet love is way too much to give us lesser things cause what if your blessings come through raindrops what if your healing comes through tears what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know your and what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? Please sing with us. We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel. doubt your love as if every promise from your word is not enough and all the while you hear each opening and all that we have to This world can't 
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.